The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 202 of Super Skull, your weekly new comic day audio digest for the week of September 5th, 2018. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm here with Marcus Schwimmer. Hello, Nicholas. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. What's happening, dudes? I have a very important question for you two. I got... Yeah. Give, give it to me. Give me your question. Lay it on us, dude. Who in a fight? No shit. That's what we're getting back on? Who win a fight? Oh, I didn't know we were starting with this. I'm juiced. If you have uh, just are tuning in for the first time, the only thing that people that read comic books talk about is who would win in a fight. Every day, all day. And that's all we do do on this podcast Mm -hmm. and is talk about who would win in a fight versus somebody and the Hulk. Yes. And now it's time for another classic edition of who in a fight. (laughs) Gentlemen, I have uh, some questions for you. And I'm going to, I actually have the correct answers to all of these matches. Got you it. think? So I'm going to be keeping score. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm very ready. Are you guys comfortable with this? Lay it on us. So I want to start out with Dashiel Bad Horse, who is the lead character from Scalped, uh-huh. versus Earl Tubb, the lead character from Southern Bastards. Oh, These oh, are shit. the two leads of Jason Aaron's seminal crime dramas, Southern Bastards and Scalped. Who win a fight? Who win a fight? It's definitely Hulk. Scout. So, it's the character. Yeah, I want to yeah. hear the character. I want you to support your answer. Okay. Um, man. Earl Tubbs, he's got tenacity. He, no, would, no, he, would, he would fight like a mother. It doesn't but, matter. But Dashiell, he's yes. younger. He's got long game. Trained. Trained by the FBI. Yep. Right? He, he comes from just harsh beginnings. And he's invested. He's just so much more invested. I think. I, I think it's. I think it's scalped. I think it's Dashiell. I think it's Dashiell too. I agree. Be a good fight though. I'd, I'd like to see that I, fight. I pay for it. The correct answer. So you're both going Dashiell. Yes. Mm-hmm. The correct answer is Dashiell. Thank you. Nice. nice. That's a correct answer. Oh, I like this. You guys could work together if you want and come to a consensus. To defeat Nick and come to a consensus answer. And the the reason is that Earl Tubb doesn't want to fight. Yeah, Dashiell wants to fight. He doesn't want to fight. Dashiell wants to fight. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got a fighter. fighter spirit. He's a fighter. I have another question for you guys. Who yeah. in a fight? This one's for you, Marcus. I was thinking of you specifically when okay. I was thinking about this one. Black Sad versus Clive Slipaway. Interesting. Black Sad, the detective. Cat detective. Cat detective. Anthropomorphic cat detective yes. from the comic book. Like a Black, Black Sad. Like Catman. Versus Clive Slipaway. The lead character, the salty sea dog yeah. from Wild's End. <sighs> Dang. That's so the the thing with this one is like what's in the room? Right? All saying are they in a are they, they in, in a, a, are, yeah, is there chairs? Is there, are there beer bod? Is there a these, tire iron? Both these dudes fight dirty. They're in a bar. They're ugh. Um they're both they, yeah, it's yeah. in a bar. I'm gonna say that neither one of them is gonna win because halfway through the fight, they're gonna gain an admiration for one another and to leave the best of friends. I think they would leave companions, Curtis, instead of finishing that fight out. You say who win a fight? Best friends. Best friends wins mm-hmm. a fight. Friendship wins that fight. Friendship is the winner of that fight. I'm going to write down friendship on the log here. Thank okay. You. Okay. Curtis. Oof. I'm gonna go. So, 
Dude's got sailor experience. That ain't nothing. But I'm going Black Sad. He's been in the game for a grip. Black Sad. That's your, that is your reasoning to support the answer is that he's been in the game for a So grip. he's been fighting crime. He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot. He's been in the streets. Mm-hmm. He's not trained military, so he's he's able to improvise. He's able to kick ass. If if it's a fight to the death and one of them has to one of them has to win, it's slip away. He's you, trained. You might be right. He's, and he's, he's got he's grit. Prepared to take a he life. just fucking oozes grit. So C- Marcus's answer was friendship. friendship. Curtis's answer was Black Sad. Going Black Sad. So stay in there. The answer is Black Sad. Nice. Because uh, Black Sad would cheat if he had to. But you don't think they would be good friends at the end of that? Maybe at the end of it, but somebody won that fight. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And the answer is Black Sad. All right. You ready for another one? Mm-hmm. Who won a fight? Who won a fight? Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Marcus. Keep me honest. Grant Morrison's Batman versus Tom King's Batman. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Woo! While you guys think about this, just go ahead and think about it. Uh-huh. Take your time. Mm-hmm. I want it to count. Yeah. It's hard. Imagine me walking across the ring with a with a round card in my hand. I'm wearing a bikini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got the round card in my hand. It's perfect. I'm waving it around. Is it Batman Incorporated Batman or? That that count that is Grant Morrison I Batman. Know, I know. Dick Grayson is Batman. I'm gonna for need a while. your answers, please. I'm gonna need Curtis's answer first. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? Yep. Okay, Tom King's Batman is one of my favorite Batmans. Yes. He's strong, he's the best. He's almost unbeatable. Mm-hmm. But but we've seen him, his emotions get the best of him recently. He, he, it, Don't betray yourself. I think I think Grant Morrison's Batman. And this is not just because I worship Grant Morrison. Yeah. I mean, I do. But I think he would do some psychedelic weird shit under the auspices of Grant Morrison. He would pull a magic orb out of his bag. He would have mm. a multicolored rainbow suit. He would do something just absolutely unexpected and totally nutsy uh, under the auspices of Grant Morrison. I'm going Grant Morrison Batman by, by a razor's edge. Grant Morrison's Batman says yep. Curtis Marcus. It's a hard one because if you go with Dick Grayson as Batman in the Morrison run, it's it's Tom King's Batman, no question, because Dick Grayson is very unsure of himself when he wears the cowl in in that particular run. Um, but if it, you know if it's Bruce on Bruce, um, Bruce on Bruce, I'm still going Tom King. I think he's got it. He's he's more of a calculated man. The answer is Tom King. Yeah, there's some weird mm. shit, and that's because because Batman's on the raggedy edge right now. Yeah. He is he he is a man who's seen some hurt. Yeah, he's having a rough time. You're saying that's a positive. I'm saying that he is he's gonna he's unhinged. He's gonna use his fist because yeah. he's unhinged. Yeah, I agree. Although you do raise a good point, Curtis. I think he would. Uh, I he, think there, Grant Morrison's Batman would pull just some pull a Green Lantern ring out of his po- multiverse or some out shit. Of his backpack or yeah. something. Yeah, Bat, you know Batman's classic <laughs> backpack <laughs> yeah. that he carries. Right he's on. got that. You can't see it. It's under his cape. It's very slow. Last fight. All it's right, the last right. fight. Who win a fight? I forget the score already. I'm ahead. Allison Bechdel versus Craig Thompson. <laughs> I don't want to watch that fight. Allison Bechdel versus Craig Thompson. Not the real people. Okay. But they're, they're memoirists. Mm. The characters that mm. they have written in these books, Fun Home. And you know what? I'll even say this. I'll say Allison Bechdel, Fun Home Allison Bechdel sure. versus... Teenage whiner Craig Thompson oh in gosh. blankets. It's no contest. It's not even funny. All right, let's hear it. It's, it's totally Allison Bechdel. Allison Bechdel. Yeah. No, she's seen some shit. Yeah, 
She's also very into fitness. She is she. I didn't know that. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Big yeah. fitness guru, Allison Bechtel. Every time I do him win a fight, they say, how can he possibly do it again? How can he top himself from the last who win a fight? And every time I think, I don't think I can do it. That's what they say. That was the best who win a fight we've ever done. Thank you. You're, it was a gr- it was an opus. I feel like I leave it all on the field every single time. Wow. And somehow, when it, when it, when I'm needed, when the signal goes up in the air, I just like I dig deep and it's fucking there, you guys. No, you don't care how much doo-doo's on that fan. No. You'll, what? You'll what do does it. that mean? Because like some shit hit the fan and you don't care. <laughs> okay. Let's do some in the news. <laughs> Please consider donating to superskullshow.com backslash donate, a buck, five bucks. Give us some cash because we're probably going to get sued at some point. Talk we about have all this a trash. barely any understanding of how copyright works. We are going to get sued. Your money goes a long way towards representing us in court. Superskullshow.com slash donate. Long month. The dog Woo! days of the month that we just finished. Was it a long month? The dog days of August. Oh, yeah. It's 39 days in August. Probably, right. a, probably a lot of news. A beast. A lot of news. I would imagine there was a lot of news. Let's just get into it. Tell hey, me. Curtis, um, uh-huh. how how's your heart doing? It's doing all right. Good. You know, I'm older, so Hel- I'm, I'm watching it. But healthy heart. Because I got some uh, yeah. news, and I'm a little worried they might take it too much. <laughs> okay. Marvel- Just say it softly for him, though, because okay. I don't want to freak him out. Guys, uh, Marvel bought the rights to Conan the Barbarian. <gasps> Woo! <laughs> yeah, pretty big deal. Uh, Marvel has not had a continuously running Conan the Barbarian series in over 25 years, Curtis yeah, Sullivan. that's very true. Now, here's the thing. But, uh, I've been counting. I've been counting those long years. There's been so many Conan comics. What are you talking about? There's been so many done by Dark Horse Comics, mostly. Oh. Oh. But Marvel used to have the right to Conan. They gave it up. Dark Horse bought it. Here's here's the real kick, kick in the gut about mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Why everyone who's into comics should get excited about this. The creative team has been announced for Conan the Barbarian at Marvel Comics. Writer, Jason Aaron. The perfect dude to do it. Uh, artist Mahmoud Asar, sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, and the colorist is Matthew Wilson. This is a dream team for a Conan the Barbarian book. I read 10 interviews with these dudes last night. All of these guys grew up. This is their dream comic. Jason Aaron's been wanting to write Conan the Barbarian. It's like the reason this dude got into comic books. He is a master of this style of writing. Um, if you go on the internet and look at Mahmoud's uh, uh, deviant art, mm-hmm. he has been drawing fan art of Conan the Barbarian characters. The earliest I found, 2012. Six years ago, before this was even a possibility, this dude is putting fan art up of not main characters of the Barba- uh, Conan the Barbarian run on his deviant art so people can like just check it out. This is what this dude's drawing for fun. If you have any interest in Conan the Barbarian, if you have any interest in seeing a dream team of comic creators come out, I think this Conan the Barbarian run, January 2019 release, is going to be as big a deal as Conan can be. That being said, gentlemen. Well, hold on a second. Yes. Mm. Do you care about this at all, Curtis? I care about it so much. This is the reason I read comics. It's Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. First comics I ever read, Savage Sword of Conan. By uh, a magazine called, uh, or a magazine imprint called Curtis Comics. Mm. This is my shit, y'all. This is this is where where I eat, where I live. 
And you've been uh, speculating, mm-hmm. fan speculating. I did. Uh, what is it we call it? You've been theory crafting yeah. about Jason Aaron. Specifically. Specifically. Yes. In your wildest fan, little fan dreams, him writing this he's book. An, he's the number one dude. And it's happened. It's unbelievable. The guy doing covers on this book is Isad Ribic, and he is the man who I would have loved to see. That's the guy who I predicted, or not predicted, but was like, I thought Jason Aaron and Ribic would do this whole book. Yeah. It'd be the most perfect thing ever. That said, the guy that got doing interiors is fantastic. He's currently doing X-Men Red over at Marvel, and he's knocking it out of the park. This guy's fucking great. So this is, this is the biggest comic announcement that I've heard, personal, 10 years. Can't think of a bigger announcement. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Marvel announced like three years ago that they were going to buy Star Wars. And it was the highest selling comic book it's of massive. all time. I'm saying for it's me like, personally. For this yeah. dude. For this yeah. guy. Oh, Curtis. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you didn't word it that way. And I just wanted to point out the ridiculousness oh, this of is that gonna, statement. This will blow away the Star Wars launch. I don't, my prediction. <laughs> prediction. <laughs> Star who? Yeah. <laughs> Half a mil. First ish. Calling it right now. Because yeah, we're going to order 200,000 of them. Probably. No, we're going to do a launch event for this. It's going to be like... Why is Jason Aaron such a big... Why is he such a good fit for this book? Who's well, Jason Aaron, even? Jason Aaron. We were talking about him a little earlier, you know, in, in Who Win a Fight. He did Scalped. He did all these great books. He's just good at hard-boiled stuff. And Conan, at its heart, it's fantasy, but it's it's hard fantasy. It's uh, It almost has, it has, you know, flakes of noir in it. Uh, I think he's just the dude. He gets gritty, hard men, and that's what Conan is. It's hard to escape, and now I am extremely excited about this. Yeah, like I think it's perfect. There's, I can't think of anybody better to write Conan in a million years. I never would have thought that this would be the team up. That's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He is, when you put it that way, like the undisputed king of like big dick, toxic masculinity, as co- in comic books. And when I say toxic, I don't mean. I just mean like, uh, what do I want to say? Masculinity for punching's sake. Yes. Sure. I don't sure. think anybody writes comics about dudes punching other dudes as to solve their problems as well as Jason Aaron because he does it with nuance and a exactly. lot of subtlety exactly. and a lot of heart. And, no, but, and That's why it works. But he does have a thing. He definitely does. No, his characters, like you say, I mean, they're rolling around in the shit, kicking ass. Yeah. I mean, Scalped is a bloodbath. And it is. But uh, a lot of them, no, I, and I will stand by a little bit, a lot of them are the product of like what happens when masculinity gets taken to its most logical, horrible extreme, and it ruins everybody's fucking life. Like, that is, and now that I think about it, what most of his books are about. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, you know, I think he's the perfect dude for Conan, because the mistake that people make with Conan when you see this character, he's a muscular dude with a sword and a loincloth. Yeah. You think he just kills. He just wands around. He's a head lopper. Yeah, All he, he just, does is wander around slashing up people. Yeah, robbing and, and killing. And this is the thing that's cool about the character and why it's been around for so long is there's much more. He's a traveler. He's an interesting character. He He's a king. He's a scholar. Exactly. He's, he's a an, thief. He's, he's a an reaver. amazing lover. Yes. He's, 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 he is a gifted lover. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, he's a poet. So, yeah. He's really good at video games. He's good at archery. He's a good rower. Yeah, he makes a mean omelet. You know? He's a wonderful man. It's, yeah! It's just, it's crazy. To, there's got to be something else going on. Because it's crazy to me. Like, Marvel's been doing all right. 2019, but Conan. You're going to buy rights to Conan the Barbarian? You're going to buy those rights back? I don't know You have this that strange. much money? Because this book is going to sell totally fine mm-hmm. for the first five issues. It'll sell great for the first issue. 
It does so really well for the first five, ten issues. It's going to peter off because, in reality, I don't think there are that many Conan the Barbarian fans out there. Like, we sell Conan the Barbarian books in Vault of Midnight. Curtis always orders more than is needed because he hopes that that dude's going to come in who just needs <laughs> to have the latest Conan comic. So we, we end up with extra Conan comics because the, I don't know what you're talking about. the community is not that large. Mm-hmm. It seems like a crazy title to spend money to buy. I think back. you're vastly overestimating the cost of the Conan license in you, comic books, maybe, my friend. Maybe. What? Even if it's... Twenty thousand dollar. I don't know. I have no. It's twenty thousand. Too, too much. It's too much. This book's. I mean, this book is not. I will be shocked if this book continues to do well. It's just such a niche fandom. Do you think you do it if because Jason Aaron's got that kind of pull now? Do you think that like I think there's enough people if you read comics and give a shit about comics, this is a, this is the dream team up. This is the dream matchup. Yeah. So maybe that in and of itself well, is, is justification. And Marvel's on to something, right? They know something's happening with the license, right? There's talk of a new Conan movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back as old King Conan. There is... Uh, Am- For real? Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah, 40 years later, he's on the throne. He's an old man trying to figure out how he's going to you know, spend his last days. Mm-hmm. There's Amazon's in talks to do a Conan show. So there are things afoot. There's a new video game. I mean, there's there's things happening with the property. So I bet you Marvel's, you know, probably got the license for a song or something reasonable. This yep. is mad theory crafting because they know some other shit's happening with the property. 2019, year of Conan, y'all. I'm calling it right now. 2019 oh. is the year of Conan. I have some other news that's less fun. Okay. Comicsgate. <laughs> Had a weekend last weekend. Yes, it did. Had a little bit of a. I'm not gonna say a moment. I almost said a fuck it. I almost said a moment, Marcus Schwimmer style. I've missed you, buddy. I missed you. It's been a month. Comicsgate, according to uh, Kieran Shirak, which I think gave a really good definition in this article from Polygon.com that we're gonna link to in the show notes. Uh, defines it as a campaign to, quote, save the comic books industry by reducing the diversity of comics, both behind the scenes and on the page. They want to see. I guess less. Uh, they want to see more white people writing comics and more male white and, and people. Comics. Yes, male white people. So a video was posted purporting to link Darwin Cook to Comicsgate on Twitter, which is a shame because we lost Darwin. We lost Darwin Cook last year. Last year, and when he was asked, so have you gentlemen seen this interview? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when he's asked if he would like to see a change from the big two publishers, he listed, among other things, he said, I don't want to see characters who have been straight for 60 years become lesbians overnight because the writer's too stupid or uncreative to come up with something decent. This is what Darwin Cook said in this interview. Right. So now there's a lot of context. There's a lot. No, actually, there's not a lot of context to that statement. I think that statement stands on its own and it sucks. It's with not all, a great statement. With all respect to Darwin Cook and with all respect to his memory, that sucks. And it also is the exact message to the letter of Comicsgate supporters. This interview was taken before all of this stuff had kind of exploded and before there was this common language for Comicsgate shit. Right. Mm-hmm. But that statement does suck. Anyway, this statement gets taken and put on the internet and says, hey, look, Darwin Cook was a Comicsgate supporter. His widow, Marsha Cook, says she responded. She said that actually Darwin Cook thought you guys, that you, quote, Comicsgate idiots were a bunch of crybaby losers ruining comics because you are. It's a pretty awesome thing to say. Very yeah. awesome thing pretty to cool. say. Pretty cool. She knew the man. She knows where his sympathies lie. She knows probably what was up with him. It's a cool thing to say. Certainly better than the Twitter sphere. Absolutely. Yeah. This led to exactly what you think it would, which is bile 
and shit and people just bombarding her with threats and harassment and, you know, nastiness, which is exactly what happens, right? And there's also this really weird statement that she was being coached or bribed into making her statement. By who? Which is like, like what's yeah. the logic? Like Marvel shows up and is like, "Hey, we need you to make this." Da-. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's really sense. intense, but it's also like a really classic part of this this time that we're in, where sure. like this this false flag thing is like a part of the way that you attack someone and like attack the very legitimacy of them having any of their own thoughts. It's really intense. But what's notable about all of this is that all of these creators started speaking out against this. So Jeff Lemire, Bill Sienkiewicz, Tom Taylor, Gail Simone, Jody Hauser, lots and lots of people came out with statements of support for Marsha Cook and uh, against Comicsgate. Yeah, and really for the first time uh, did we hear kind of like en masse comic creators, right? And this is what speaking up. This is what kind of made it remarkable and it didn't really occur to me until this point is that we really hadn't had a lot of voices. There were yeah, Mark, Cre- Mark Wade. Mark Wade's been leading the charge. On absolutely, this. and he's been awesome. And there, and yeah. I don't mean to sound like nobody is doing it. There are some right. creators that, but there was not this big wave. You did not have all of these comic creators who are all on social media and all use this stuff. You didn't have them all come out at once and say, "This is shitty." Fuck you guys, because the comic industry is intense and it's a hard way to make a living and you're alienating a bunch of people. And I don't and, or maybe they just didn't want to wade into it and like deal with the harassment. There's all sorts of reasons why what their you know, motivations for why not to engage with oh, this stuff. Yeah. As soon as you yeah, engage with comic skaters, you're, yeah. you're opening yourself up to massive scary shit. Totally. Death threats and, and threats of violence and people publishing your personal information. It's super dark. So it was kind of a yeah. cool thing. It was kind of a cool moment to like see all of this stuff happening in a wave and it made it more notable for the fact that we really hadn't seen anything like that previous to this. So it's just another chapter in this ongoing comic skate nonsense. And uh, we'll keep, you know, every time we see a, a big kind of uh, shift like this, we'll, we'll probably talk about it on the show because it bears keeping an eye on. For sure. It will, it will. If we ignore it, it will definitely not go away, unfortunately. No, we, yeah, you, you can't ignore it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You can't. I'd love to so much. Wouldn't that be great? Do you guys want to hear some very quick numbers? Let's do it. Yeah. July data for July 2017 was released in August. Yeah, while, while that we makes were, sense. While we were gone. Would you guys like to find out what happened? We'd love to. Are you excited? I mm-hmm. am. Comic books were up 17.37% in July. That's no. single issues? Single issue comics. Fantastic. Needed needed the boost. That's Very great. much needed. Batman number 50. The Batrimony. Yeah. I love that. Good yeah. job on that. Fit? No, no, I didn't make it up. Oh, you didn't? I, I thought wish, you just made it up on the fly. I wish that I coined it. I, was I definitely didn't. Give me mad props. But it sold 450,000 copies, 440,000 copies. That's really good. Excuse me. Amazing Spider-Man sold 289,000 copies. That was the one and two spot. Brilliant. Great month for single issues. Yeah. It's great numbers. The top 10 were all over 100,000 too. It's great looking top 10. Captain America number one also released in July. Marvel put out a bunch of number ones mm-hmm. in July. So yes. that, that helped push things, uh, push things forward. Graphic novel sales were down a little bit. They were down actually 9% against 2017, which is like what we've been seeing over the course of the year for graphic novels, which kind of stinks. Overall, the industry is down nearly 2% against 2017. But now we're seeing signs of life that just haven't been there in a really long time. Yes. It's a modest decline. It's not great. Uh, but I'm officially out of panic mode. I'm calling it as of now. I'm not panicking Ooh. about the state of the comic book industry right now. We're in the normal ebbs and flows of an industry that's kind of like doing its thing. I think you're right. And I think graphic novels, if they if they can rebound 
we're in a very healthy spot. Here's my question. Yeah. These are all direct market numbers. Right. So are these declines in graphic novels all being siphoned off to the book market? I would guess yes. Great question. I wonder. I know Barnes & Noble has been struggling. You know, they're one of the big uh, venues for, you know, the direct, the mass market but, graphic novel sales. You know, Good question. As someone who goes into, uh, you know, prose bookstores fairly frequently, um, you know, there are bookstores that five years ago did not have graphic novel sections and now have, I mean, Barnes & Noble, to their credit, does have a giant fairly comprehensive mm. graphic novel section. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, these companies have realized that there's money here and they're definitely capitalizing on it. Even small bookstores starting to have graphic novel sections. So I think we are starting to see at least some of this graphic novel siphon off into the the more of your mainstream prose bookstores. And a lot of that stuff is all ages books, which is showing growth. from For all intents and purposes, from everything that we can tell, yeah. the all ages graphic novels are growing in the book industry. Not the comic book industry, but like in the book industry in general. Well, yeah. So where's that money going if the sure. direct market is showing a 9% decline? I just wonder how much of that is just not going to comic shops anymore. Yeah, and traditionally, you know, comic shops have not done great in the graphic novel space and specifically, like, like you say, the all-ages space. Yeah. Man, uh, we were just reading numbers on Dogman Volume 5, which is an all-age graphic novel that dropped at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. They upped the print run from 1 million to 3 million. What's the percentage of those that sold in the mass market versus the direct market, right? Mm-hmm. I Books, mean, it, bookstores versus comic shops. So much, right? It's, it's unbelievable, probably. 10 to 1, probably, at probably. least. Yeah. yeah. How many how many comic shops are you going to that don't even have all-ages sections? Right. Which is not even a thing. So it'll be interesting to see how comic shops adapt to this. Do they get out? Do they try to push a little bit harder? There might have been a window when comic shops could have been the go-to place to get these kind of books. And I don't think enough shops, frankly, I don't think enough shops adapted quick enough to to take to capitalize on that and to capitalize on this cool new thing that kids were starting to get into. <laughs> and they might have lost it to Amazon and to bookstores and Barnes and Noble. Well, and that's the thing. Small local bookstores are making a comeback. Uh, you know, are they yep. selling graphic novels? Yes, they are. So, yep, you, you know go. they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's some news. Good news. Good you guys, news. You guys yeah, did a good job. There's even more. Maybe we'll come back to it next week. Yeah, so much more. Did you ha- did you two have any deep thoughts while you were reading comics this week? I had so many. Did you have what? What were your deep thoughts? My number one deep thought, yeah, was were you, uh, you were thinking deeply. Uh huh. Yeah, I was in my Batman pajamas that are high waters now. Paint me a picture. And uh, my belly was hanging out a little bit. Yep. Because I was on my couch having so deep thoughts. You can have a little belly button exposed. Your eyes are open. Your mouth is open. <laughs> Wide open. I'm sucking air through my mouth mm-hmm. and uh, reading comics. And I was thinking about magic swords. Magic swords. Yeah. I read this comic book this week called Elric. You dudes. Elric the White Wolf, number one, Titan Comics. This comic book is based on a very old uh, fictional character named Elric who was in novels. 70s, in right? Early 70s? 70s, yeah, sounds yeah. right. And uh, it's about an albino guy who has this magic sword that's a demon, and this demon talks, and it it needs to feed on souls. Cool. So it's always telling Elric, hey, go kill that person and I'll eat their soul and I'll give you some power. I'm, hu- I'm hungry. I'm so hungry and you're so sickly because he's like a skinny little sickly guy and he needs power. 
oh. from souls. So they sort of have a symbiotic relationship. That's nice. It seems like nice. Spawn. A little bit. But the sword's kind of a dick. And the sword will like kill close family members just like out of the blue. Like they'll be hanging out and God. the sword will freak out and kill his dad at dinner. Jesus. You know? <laughs> Huge bummer. So he like oh, no. exiles himself. <laughs> and, it, you know, so. He goes to a new land. He, he does. And we he, see in the beginning of this book the characters that he is often associated with. He leaves them behind. They drop him off. So he is alone. He is no longer Elric King. He is Elric, the White Wolf Wanderer, yes. which is a dope way to start a fantasy series. Yeah, not bad at all, right? His sword is totally cool looking. It's black and red, and it it's totally badass looking. But Black and red? Yeah, dude. Cool. The two greatest colors. Put them together. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it got me thinking about a bunch of magic swords that I like. And uh, this is sort of a nonsense thought, but... Uh, but yeah. is it a deep one? It's medium deep. I just love talking magic swords. I think we might have talked about this at some point on this why podcast. Do you, why do you like magic swords? So I was trying to think about why I like it. So Marcus, and you can speak to this, right? In like a fantasy game, right, especially D&D and all my early D&D games, whatever your character was, was kind of, their personality seemed to come a little bit from their weapons. Absolutely. Right? So if you're watching like a Lord of the Rings movie or you're playing D&D, if you're Archer, you know, your archer uses a bow and arrow. Right. So that speaks to he's maybe thin or she's maybe thin and agile has speed and agility and all these attributes that you associate with the weapon, right? Your paladin uses a shield because they're defenders and they block and they make sure that the rest of the people in their party are Does safe in the hap- shield. Is it like to speak to their personality though? This it is should. Like this is the thing. I okay. think it, it, at least in my mind, it always did, right? Yeah. There are some examples of, of breaking that norm, which is really interesting. You know, so a mage with a sword is an oddity, right? Mages should have staffs or wands or blah, blah, blah. Um, But overall, there's this idea that the weapon that you use in the fantasy genre links to not only your role in your adventuring party, whether in literature or in gaming, but also the type of person that this character is. Right, if you're a rogue or a thief, you like your weapons and your personality are all... Yes, right? You're sneaky. So... If you you have an archer, you project onto people your problems. You do. Take... This self-doubt. If you have a shield, you're really defensive, and you're always like, oh. Don't get me. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I have no other thoughts. I want you to oh, keep going. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so this is why I was thinking maybe, you know, so your your sword or your bow and arrow was, was already sort of like your partner, right? And then you take it to the next level, and then you make it a character. You make it like truly your companion, right? Sure. If your Conan and your sword doesn't talk to you, you like you and your sword, like you sleep with that sword, you hug that sword. It's your best buddy. What if that thing was talking to you and you're and looking out for you? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Or what some, if it's a jerk? Yeah. And absolutely. you can't get rid of it. Yeah. You know. It's interesting. The one of the weapons that speaks to its owner. Um, but doesn't actually say words, is Sting from Lord of the Rings. It speaks to Frodo and Bilbo through its ability to glow. What's Sting? Sting, oh buddy. Sting is a um, short, what we would consider to be a mithril short sword crafted by the elves in Middle Earth. Uh It is then buried in a cave that is later protected by trolls when young Bilbo Baggins and his adventuring party are searching for the Lonely Mountain. They come across these trolls and trick them into staying up until morning because everyone knows that in Middle Earth, trolls cannot be touched by sunlight or else they turn to stone. Yeah. When looting... Everybody knows that. Looting through the cavern that these trolls go into, two, three mythical swords are found, um, Sting being one of them. The other two are Glamdring, and Auric. Um, Great names. G- Glamdring given to Gandalf the White, 
um, Auric given to Thorn Oakenshield. I'm so sorry I asked about this. Uh, but Stig is a short mithril <laughs> sword that done. is given to Bilbo. It could be considered a dagger. Does it talk or not? It glows when orcs or goblins are around. Uh, and okay. Therefore, that is its way to communicate with its owner. That's its All talking. three weapons do, even though Glamdring and Auric are sister weapons. <laughs> oh my God. And Stig is not considered to be in that. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, so like glow twice for no. Glow once for yes. So recently we read a book called God Country. I remember it. On this on this podcast, we were talking about it. And there's a sword that its name, it's Valofax. And it's a God sword. And this is like a really uppity sword. And I really liked the sword because it was like, I'm not going to go with you. This other God dude was like, I want to, you going to need to be my sword. Yeah, he's like, uh-uh. No, uh-uh. You're, I'm not going to do that. And then he really wanted to go with this other dude, the dad. And he wanted to be a sword, and he chose his wielder. I love that shit. Yeah. I love an uppity sword for some reason. So those, that's my one deep thought of the week, my medium thought of the week. How was Elric? Was magic swords are cool, and ones that talk are even cooler. Elric was pretty good. It was a lot of words. It's really wordy. But I, uh, I love the art, and I'm, I'll be back for more. When uh, Stormbringer, which is the name of the sword, which is a great name for a sword, uh, wants to feed, it goes crazy. The name of the sword is Stormbringer? Stormbringer. Okay. That's good, right? Good weapon should have a good name. Stormbringer yeah. is a great one. I feel like Stormbringer I've heard before. This thing brings the blood storm is what it brings, and it just cleaves <laughs> a whole shitload of dudes <laughs> in this comic book. Marcus, when you're doing like, you craft RPGs. I do, yes. You craft uh, uh, LARPGs. I do. I craft stories for LARPs and in particular. do you ever incorporate talking swords? Um, you know, I try to actually stay away from talking weapons. Why? In But you love them. In RPGs, they work great because I, as the dungeon master, can come out at any time we're all sitting around a table and I can say like, hey, your sword tells you this. Your right? singing sword is being annoying. Sure. Put it in its sheath. In a LARP where people are walking around and moving to different places physically away from staff members, it's really hard because then I have to run out and be like, hey, your sword tells you this and then run back and go do the other mm. thing. So I think it, it's probably more of a distraction mm. than it is any kind of positive in storytelling. But I'm a sucker for mythical weapons that become characters in their own right. Um, the Sword of Martin from the Redwall series is, is one of my favorites. Absolutely. is a sword that starts out as a simple sword, much like Martin starts out as a simple warrior. Then it is crafted with the metal of a falling star. And even after Martin dies, his spirit guides people to that weapon wow. so that they may take it. It later becomes known as, I believe, as Rat Blight as it kills so many rats. So the sword develops <laughs> with the character and then becomes a plot device. Yeah. I think w weapons like that are very, very good. Um, but it's a, it's a tricky thing to do because the weapon should never be so drastic that it's distracting to the natural development of the character. And I think a lot of times when we see big mythical weapons, I would argue that in um, the Game of Thrones TV show versus the book, Jon Snow's sword is more of a distraction than it is actually a attribute to his character. But it, it's a fine balance, and some people do it right and some people do it wrong. But a good weapon, whether it's sentient or not, can play such an amazing role. I mean, Excalibur being the finest example of a weapon that enhances the character but doesn't overshadow. Agatha wow. from Headlopper is kind of like a talking weapon. In a way, she is. Whoa. In some ways. Yes, because she can shoot those deadly eye beams and she's, stuff. She's helping him out all the time. Yeah. Like, she, she's kind of saving the day a lot, and she's got a lot of personality. Man, you got to put up with a lot, though, to get your day saved with Agatha. Jeez, That's shut true. the... 
Up, that, girl. that is true. But she's annoying to the main character, but not ever annoying to us as the reader. And that's the bit. That's where I think I don't know. in less in less capable hands, she could become an annoyance to the story instead of something that enhances the story. True. She Curtis is pretty is hilarious. A, are you not Curtis is annoyed by her? Are you well, I was going to say she is pretty. She can be hilarious. But if I was head lobber, I can put myself in his shoes and be like, like he kicks her at one point because she's just blabbing on and on and he mm-hmm. just boots her across the thing. Yeah, I would do that. I could see it. Yeah. Take that. Talking swords. Mm-hmm. That was great. You, were, Marcus, you read some comics too. I bet you were having some deep thoughts. I certainly did. I read uh, Batman this week, which what? was great. I missed a couple issues of Batman because we, we took some time off and I came back to it. It was great. It was like I never left. Um, but this particular issue, Batman number 54, really focuses on the Bruce Wayne-Dick Grayson relationship. Bruce is going through a hard time. He's dealing with some shit. Uh, Dick Grayson is there trying to be a friend, trying to be a sounding board, trying to be a helper through this time of healing. Um, And it just really got me thinking about the hero sidekick dynamic and why it has become such a mainstay in this industry. Can we talk about this book really quickly before you get into that? Sure. Mm -hmm. So in this book, we're we're still fresh off of Batman, his breakup. And he's yeah. pretty bummed out. He's, he was left on the rooftop. He's bat bummed. And Dick's really hanging out with him a lot, trying to make him feel better. Yeah. He is hugging him. He even though he does <laughs> Batman do, does not want to hug. Mm-mm. He is trying to get him to fight silly villains to maybe like rekindle old times. So crazy quilt. Crazy shows quilt up. shows <laughs> up. Some like condiments. The, bad uh, the condiment man, king, yeah, the condiment king, and he's trying to, you know, watch football with him. And while this is running, he's remembering coming into the Wayne Manor as a child and how he didn't want to be there for. He's just like freshly orphaned after his parents died in a horrifying trapeze accident. And he's trying to, you know, he's thinking about what it was like to acclimate and when he was really bummed out and when Bruce Wayne was very cool to him and trying to, like, nurse him back to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now Dick is trying to do the same thing for Batman. It's really, really nice. It was really nice. Because I agree with you. That, that's what, something I thought about, too, as I was reading. I was like, these dudes are sidekicks and they're very, very good friends. They are. And, they, and that relationship has changed. And what's interesting is... I can't think of another industry of storytelling where the sidekick is such a integral part of the community. Like there, there is no comic books without sidekicks. We uh, some of our sidekicks have developed into other main characters via V. Dick Grayson and Nightwing, but some of our sidekicks have stayed the same. And there's always new sidekicks. And there's always new ones. And yeah. it's it is it's integral integral to yeah. comics, right? In, in a in a really intense way. Yeah. That you know, and this book really showed that to me. Where did they come from? So the where ter- did the sidekick even come from? So the term sidekick uh, originated as a pickpocket slang term in the late 19th century. What? So if you think about a, the pair of pants you're wearing right now, a pair of gentlemen's pants. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your front side pockets are called kicks. The front side pockets are yep. called kicks. And it was widely considered to be the safest pocket for you not not to get pickpocketed. Still is to this day. Still is to this day. Keep it in your sidekick. Manufacturers of cargo pants may disagree, but I think overall we can all agree your front kicks are the safest place to put your We can also all agree that if you're wearing cargo pants, you deserve to be robbed. (laughs) No, no, the cargo (laughs) pants industry has never been right about anything. Yeah. 
So that's where the sidekick comes from. It's also uh, when the development of the front pocket came around, pickpocketing teams would uh, went from one person to two. So I would distract Curtis. You would pick his pocket. I would pick his sidekick. You would pick his sidekick. Wow. Um, and you would be, then the term moved on. You would be my sidekick if I was the more experienced pickpocket. Because, wait, but th- but I'm the one getting the getting it out of the sidekick. Though. Yeah, but I'm teaching you. Okay. And that's where the oh. term transfers okay. from a thing to a person. Yeah. Now, there's a common myth that the reason we came up with the word sidekick was that these characters were often kicked to the side to give the main character more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that just shows, it's purely myth, but it shows how these characters have been viewed. I thought they were just really sweet at doing a sidekick. Could be. I thought it was know? I thought it was related to the two of them standing next to each other, both kicking at the same time. Yeah, to the side. Double dragon style. Yeah. So the first... Double Dragon. I can't believe you just brought that up. Now I just want to talk about Double Dragon forever. I'm here for you. How dare you? Um, so the first sidekick ever, argued to be the first sidekick ever, is Enkidu from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, he becomes Gilgamesh's sidekick as this is the oldest recorded piece of literature. Um, he, he is dubbed the first. Some argue that he's not actually a sidekick because when the gods create him, they create him as an equal match to Gilgamesh. But when the two of them fight and Gilgamesh wins, that when scholars who look at this kind of stuff, they determine that that is when he takes the role of sidekick and becomes the first. Mm. Um, some other non-comics, pre-comic sidekicks that are very popular, uh, Sancho Pan... Uh, Sancho Panza? Yes. I've always thought of you as my Sancho Panza. To your Don Quixote? Yes. Interesting. Mm Kind of makes sense. I've never read Don Quixote, but I just love his name. I've always think that. You never heard heard me whisper that to you? No, but now I'm going to listen to it. Um, And the the most famous sidekick relationship probably is uh, in Homer's Iliad, the characters of Achilles and Patroclus, um, his young apprentice, maybe lover. Um, But... When we look at sidekicks in comic history, like Dick Grayson is the first superhero sidekick. For real? For real. No it, shit. There are pulp sidekicks mm-hmm. that we have followed these pulp characters, but if we consider Superman to be the first superhero, yep. Batman quickly follows Dick Grayson, his young ward, is the first superhero Robin, sidekick. Robin, f- first ever sidekick. Yep. Oh, oh cool. And here he is still being a valuable part of the Bat family. So many years later. Yes. Um, do you guys have a favorite sidekick? I've got a few. Who? Um, well, uh, Crypto the Superdog is my homie. Yeah. So he's kind of a sidekick. So you guys know the story of Crypto the Superdog? I, so I don't. on Krypton, Jor-El sent a test rocket first before he sent Kal-El. That was smart. Oh, but he put a dog in it? Put a dog in it. You ready for this? It hit some weird gravity or something, and it arrived. It didn't get to Earth until after, you know, Superboy was a boy. And then, boom, Rocket shows up, bang, Crypto pops out. Technically, huh. yeah, Crypto is not a sidekick. Interestingly not enough. Just a hero. He does not fit the criteria. For a sidekick to be a sidekick, there has to be a give and take of learning between the two characters. I think Crypto, as we see him, kind of shows up, saves the day, and flies off. I don't know if he would fall into that criteria of a sidekick because there needs to be a development between the two characters. Mm, that's pedantic. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I'm Could saying be. he's hanging out with Superboy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. But he's a pretty cool one. He is a good one. Nick, what about you? Favorite sidekick or? Well, there's an obvious best one, and that's Chuck Norris from the film Sidekicks. Oh. Now, 
is Chuck Norris the sidekick in that? Because I also am a fan of this movie. I hope at this point that Rachel can insert some uh, voiceover from the trailer of the film Sidekicks. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are not familiar, 1992, the classic Sidekicks. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for helping me out again. That's all right, Chuck. That's what Sidekicks are for. This is the story of Jonathan Brandis, who is the star of the film, who daydreams himself into all of these fantasy situations where he gets to hang out with Chuck Norris. With, for some reason, Chuck Norris. And not Chuck Norris acting as another character. No, he's Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris as Chuck Norris. No, it's him hanging out with Chuck Norris. He is a troubled kid. He daydreams way too much. He has debilitating asthma. And all the while... All he wants in life is to be Chuck Norris, and at minimum, he wants to hang out with Chuck Norris. And save the day. And save the day. So he starts taking karate lessons, I'm very sorry to report, <laughs> Yeah, from a man who runs a local Chinese restaurant and who is also a kung fu master. It's a super problematic fucking movie. I cannot defend it on any level, except I watch this movie a lot. When I was a kid. Same. I, yeah, I don't know it's why. It's troublingly bad. It's really bad. Yeah. But when you're a kid and it's the 90s and you don't know better because you're an idiot child. Yeah. It's one of the coolest movies. You're like, I do want to you... find the nearest Chinese restaurant and ask <laughs> someone there to teach me karate. There, all I can do is just try to be a better dude because of all the things that <laughs> I watched and absorbed and like experienced in the 90s. You're right. All I can do is just try to be better. That's right. There were just so many karate dojos back then. It seems like just everywhere. Everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. Joe Piscopo. <laughs> is the is the head of the the bad and the like the what are they the the bad guy karate school in, in town? Yeah. yeah, think Cobra Kai. Yeah, from Karate Kid. Blackie, yes. Blackie, same mm-hmm. as Cobra Kai. Yeah, Joe Piscopo does an extremely troubling impression. I'm not even going to get into it. Yeah, it's horrible. Don't watch this movie. I've seen this movie many, many times. Yeah. I'm so sorry to I say. I watched the first 20 minutes of this movie today, and it's we should say it's written and directed by Aaron Norris, Chuck Norris's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Executive produced by Chuck Norris. And, man, in the first 20 minutes of this movie, the amount of times that people say the name Chuck Norris, I mean, it should be a drinking game movie where anytime, buddy, anytime somebody says <laughs> Chuck Norris, you do a shot because, like, you know, he's having, like, the school counselors meeting and, like, man, he really loves Chuck Norris. And the dad's like, yeah, he just loves Chuck Norris so much just through the entire movie. I mean, the whole thing is basically an infomercial for Chuck Norris. Yes, like, he's, totally. on, he's on the waning end of his career. And the the big movies are not coming anymore. This movie is an argument for the perfection of Chuck Norris. Yeah, it's pre or post Walker Texas Ranger. I think it's pre. I think Gotta this be is pre Walker Texas Ranger. Think? The longest scene with Chuck Norris in it in this movie. I rewatched this entire movie today. Yeah. The longest <laughs> scene with Chuck Norris in it. He's in it a lot, but it's little spurts. Bah, Chuck Norris. Dialogue. Bah, Chuck yeah, Norris. Yeah, yeah. The boy is climbing. Is forced to climb the gym rope up to the ceiling. And he starts panicking because oh, yeah, right. all the kids are mocking him in front of the gym teacher. The gym teacher does nothing to stop this. So he imagines- <laughs> It's the 90s, man. Yeah. He imagines Chuck Norris is on a rope next to him. I can't do it, Chuck. I can't do it, I'm Chuck. I'm too tired. You and, be Chuck Norris. I'm too tired. I don't think I could do it. All these people are laughing at me. And Chuck Norris- No, you be Chuck oh, Norris. Don't worry. 
I'm going to teach you how to climb a rope. I don't know how to climb a rope. Wrap, I, look at me. Wrap your foot around the rope. Okay. Then take your other foot. Just like and this? And pin it with the rope. All right. Do you feel how the weight is taken off your upper body? Oh, this is much easier and now. And now we're going to climb. Hand up. Everybody can hear me talking to you, but I'm going to put my one hand up. Who's hand he talking up. to? And I'm going to climb another hand up. I'm doing it. That Let's crazy. race. You can do it. Chuck Norris, I'm doing it. You can do I'm it. I believe it. you. That's the longest scene with Chuck Norris. He and teaches scene. you how to climb rope. And that's the longest scene in this entire movie with Chuck Norris in it. It's terrible. It's also maybe a masterpiece in its own right. Best sidekick ever. And at the end, Chuck we... Norris. Chuck Norris. Yeah. And he is fully the sidekick. I don't care what you say, Marcus. <laughs> he is totally the sidekick to Jonathan Brandis's kick. Who you said today is the Marlon Brando of the 1990s. I think this dude is the finest actor of his generation. He was he was in everything in the 90s. Never-ending story. Check. Check. Ladybug. Boom. Sequest? Sequest. Don't Bang. Don't Sequest. I think, was he in Stand By Me? No, he was I, in no. It. He, he was, was in the it. other Stephen King. He was in It. Yeah. Ha! He was amazing in all of that shit. True. Jonathan Brandis. Oh, he's a fucking dreamboat, too. Total fucking heartthrob. Find the entire movie on YouTube. Yeah, here's the thing. The whole movie's on YouTube. You can't buy this movie if you want to buy this movie. No, I dare you to try to give someone money for a physical copy <laughs> of this movie. Won't happen. That being said, if you can find one and mail it to us... I would love that. I would love that, yeah. Anyway, you are talking about sidekicks, and all I could think about was sidekicks starring Jonathan Brandis and Chuck Norris. There it is. So... Before we move off of Batman and his sidekick, Dick Grayson. You got a rant. I don't have a rant. I just think we should read out loud the covers of what DC has been putting on these Batman books. We should say we love these books. They're fucking fabulous. Man, you hear me talking about how much I love these books all the time. You know I love these books. Don't front like I don't love these books. But Love them harder, Nick. These covers are not awesome. They're putting these captions on the front of these books. So this is, let's see here. Batman number 49, we talked about at length on this podcast. This is where the Joker and the the Catwoman is bleeding out, lying on the floor. The Joker is bleeding out, lying on the floor. They have this long contemplative chat with each other. And the cover, and and it's amazing. It's one of the best comic books I've ever read. And then the cover of this book is literally Catwoman kicking the Joker in the stomach saying, don't mess with Catwoman on her wedding day. Yeah. Can I give you the defend cap- that, Curtis? I'm in love with it. I love. I lo- so here's the thing. There is nothing they could do that you would not be in love with it. Well, normally, don't say that. I hate it when you say that. <laughs> yo, yo, far face. So sometimes they go too far and they put really stupid sh- shit on the covers. I hate word bubbles. Generally speaking, on a cover, right? And so, you're referencing. So let's talk about this one. So yeah. what is this arc of Batman about? This is the gift. This is uh, issue number 47 of Batman. Booster Gold is going to give Batman the greatest gift ever, his parents, meaning he's going to go back in time and get his parents not killed, and it's going to be great, except it makes everything horrible. It's dope. It's like kind of weird and scary and funny, and it was an amazing few runs yes, of comics. so good. Three issues. Booster Gold's all crazy from jumping around in time with a crazy beard, and he looks insane. What's he saying? What is the on the cover of this book? So you got Batman. This is a word bubble here, we should say. For my parents to live... I must kill Booster Gold. Now, okay, (laughs) hear me out. Normally, I would hate that. Okay. But I think they're doing a thing. They're doing a thing. That's not- What is the thing they're doing? So this, this is done all the time in comics in the past. 
but but stupidly, I think. Mm-hmm. They're giving it all away in a stupid way. I agree. I think this is a homage. I think they're clearly having fun with this. Some could argue that they're still doing it stupidly. Some could argue that. So it's if it's an homage to what? Because the the content of the book, like what is it that they're it it's, doesn't match the tone because it right, it's, it's very t- silly. It doesn't match the tone of these books, which are like very kind of like slow, thoughtful stories. Sure. All of these captions on the front of these. So this one we just talked about with Dick Grayson and Batman. Yeah. The shadow of the past. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would argue that it has nothing to do with the comic book that we just read. Yeah. Also, Batman number 53, the front says, Dark Knight no more. That is, so, and that but is it, the story of like the 12 Angry Men jury story where Batman convinces a jury for, or Bruce Wayne convinces a jury full of people to con, to not convict yeah. uh, Mr. Freeze. Yep. And, no one like the Dark Knight font that they're using is harkening back to an old story plot that has nothing to do with this. The only reason he's Dark Knight no more in this book is because he's literally in a suit is Bruce Wayne. So if they wanted to be real to this book on the front, they should have put Bruce Wayne in a suit. Like that has <laughs> says more about this comic than Dark Knight no more. You're misleading people. You're you, this this caption says to me that like oh I'm going to read a book about the troubles of Batman and in a way you're doing that but like this is no context for this book you know it Take might it, off. it might be a little incongruous with the interior I'll give you that okay you know I'll concede that if it's an homage I don't know what it, the effect of it is supposed to be that's, sure that's my question right. I don't like if they're doing an ironic it's definitely a throwback to uh, totally because we haven't seen this in a while you know, covers right. have gone without this. This was a standard issue comic trope for many, many years. Word, everybody's talking on the cover. There's big word bubbles explaining what's happening in the comic, yeah. or at least trying to. Um, so this is something we haven't seen in a while. So they're going for a thing. They're going for a thing. You it, ain't it just, liking it. It just seems unsuccessful. It seems like the people that write these captions have not read the book, or they were given a very quick synopsis from somebody else who was told about it from somebody else. I 100% agree with that. I do not think that Tom King is writing the font, uh, the text on the front of this book. I think this is someone at uh, DC Editorial. And it's almost like they're trying to appeal to folks that are going to buy a book because Bruce Wayne's going to kill Booster Gold, or... You know, because the this is the issue where the Dark Knight is gonna, is going to be no more, whatever that means. Like, but that's not Tom King's run. It's it's not these run. It's not the run at all. That's that's yeah, all I'm saying. I hear you, and I agree with you on that one. And I think it's also there's some beautiful covers here. I know, and I don't need the your art's great. shitty font on the front of it. Fine. <laughs> You're just so in love with DC right now. I am on DC's jock hard. <laughs> Well, though I think that's enough deep thoughts for one day. Ooh, there's a lot. Can you tell this segment's called Deep Thoughts now? Have we said it enough? I hope we get some cool, chill jazz music for Deep Thoughts to guide us into it. It's fortuitous that we are coming back at the beginning of the month because you know what happens at the beginning of the month? Previews. Previews magazine happens at the top of the month. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So we all read Previews. Previews magazine is Marcus this time to find it. Previews magazine is a catalog of all the things that are going to be coming out in two months' time. Yeah. So um, if you own a comic shop or you're really into the industry, or I would argue you're looking to get into it, pick up a Previews magazine. It's going to show what is the industry is producing a few months down the road. 
Um, it's everything from comics to graphic novels, merchandise, manga. There's just a ton of stuff in it, and um, it's a good eye into what is happening in this big old industry. There's no comparable publication. There's no magazine. I'm sorry. There's no movie previews. No. No. There's, there's not a book that comes out that says- 700 pages? Every movie that's going to come out in two months. There's not a magazine that tells you every single video game that's going to come out no. in two months. This shit doesn't exist. Marcus is nope. rolling his eyes no, to the heavens. He's searching his, his mind's yeah. locker. No. We're hashtag blessed. We are hashtag blessed Because not only do we get previews, but we get all of our stuff like clockwork every Wednesday. We know we can build our lives <laughs> around it in a weird, almost sometimes depressing regularity, a rhythm of the week that never stops. And then you got to do a podcast every week, too, it turns on out. An, on every infinity. single week without end. And previews drives all of it. It's the fucking, it's Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill. Pre, Sisyphus is the previews magazine. It's the monolith from <laughs> yeah. 2001. And the rock is our lives. <laughs> shit. So did you guys see anything cool in previews? Saw so much cool shit this week in previews magazine. Give me your fave. My all-time fave? That you saw in previews. Holy shit. So um, probably my all-time fave, Image Comics, is putting this book out, The Fade Out. Trade paperback, it's all of it. It's the whole run. This is Ed Brubaker writing crime in a way that only Ed Brubaker can at the top of his game. Um, this book is coming out in, uh, I think, early November. The whole series is going to be 25 bucks. This is a series that I would argue uh, would read very well in one fall day sitting. I think crime dramas usually are, are suited to the fall, that early late you know early fall um and the fade out is maybe the best crime mystery in comic book history it's so good the setting's so good it's so good it's hollywood it's old hollywood yes mccarthy era it, yeah uh, late 40s and it's, early 50s it's never been collected as one whole unit and and this is your chance to get it it's a crazy deal and i think it's going to be just a perfect fall read nice nice i'm excited about a new vision series called the vision just The Vision. The Vision. The last time we saw The Vision was from Tom King. Hey. We can't stop. Won't stop. This time it's written by Chelsea Kane and Mark Mohan with art by Oudcock. I don't uh, know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Apologies. Anyway, it's going right out of Tom King's stuff where The Vision builds himself a family and... All sorts of stuff happens. You should read this book if you haven't read this book. Get it together. It's really nice. Read this book. Mm -hmm. um, and it just it's going to pick up right from there. Chelsea Kane wrote Mockingbird, which was great. Slam dunk. Really, really cool book, and I'm excited about it. That's the thing that I'm excited about in previews. Man, it's got a great Marcos Martin cover too. Man, that cover is dope. Marcos Martin's going to do the covers. Um, I'm excited about a comic book uh, from Marvel called The Black Order, number mm -hmm. one. So everybody in the world saw that new Avengers movie. The Avengers Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And you may have noticed Thanos had some like some sweet sidekicks in that movie. He had four sidekicks? Four, correct. Yeah. Well, these guys uh, come from the comics. They're the Call Obsidian. They got cool names like Proxima Midnight and Ebony Maw. They are total badasses. And they work for Thanos. And they're strong enough to kick ass next to Thanos, which is saying a lot because that dude can kick everybody's butt. This is a comic about their... Their goings on before they started working for Thanos. God, the Cull Obsidian is fucking 
awesome. That's a great name. That's really good. Yeah, the Black Order. Come on. Jeez. Yeah, fucking rules. Uh, check it out. Uh, if you you know don't know anything about these characters, it doesn't matter. You saw that movie. These guys are cool. They deserve some more of your time. Great characters created by the great Jonathan Hickman. Can I talk about some manga that yes. I'm excited for? Please. So there is a new manga series coming out called The Hero and His Elf Bride Open a Pizza Parlor in Another World. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, it is about our, our young hero, uh, Kito, is struck and killed by a pizza delivery bicycle. Oh, no. When this happens, he gets delivered or uh, he gets sent to another dimension. You could say delivered. He gets delivered to another dimension where some other people are. <laughs> and they say that we have three options. You can either be a hero of sword, a hero of sorcery, or you can save our world through pizza. A hero of pizza. And before he can get out, I want to be a sword. They say, nope, the other ones are now taken. You will save us through pizza. And he gets sent to this other dimension where he has to open a pizza parlor and somehow figure out how to save the universe. Um, I am unsure how he acquires an elf pride. Hopefully it's not stupid. Um, that that worries me a little bit. Um, but, this, but we have you on record as recommending it, so that's well, great. Well, this book is getting a lot of really, really good reviews. Oh, good. And um, so this is a light novel, um, and it is become very, very popular. It's getting a lot of reviews. Um, this is a... And the light novel is... A mix of illustration and prose. Mostly it, prose. Mostly prose. They're getting very popular. And are very popular overseas. Um, so I, I think we can expect cool things out of this. Um, it is anticipated by a lot of members of the manga community. And it sounds like an interesting story. It could be a lot of fun. Pizza's cool. Pizza's very cool. Pizza's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, you got another cool guy? Nope. I'll jump in then. Hey, Water Snakes is coming out from Lion Forge, which is a publisher we really, really like. Water Snakes is by this dude, Tony Sandoval, you guys. We know him from so many cool books. His art's incredible. He's three-time Eisner Award nominated. This dude is the best. This is about a young girl who is heading out of summer vacation. She didn't have a great time. She didn't uh, meet anybody cool. She meets uh, Agnes, who turns out that uh, she's a ghost. She's not a regular ghost, though. Agnes a ghost? Yeah, she's a ghost, dude. Okay. And she's not even just like a spoon, like a ooh ghost. She uh, carries the essence of a fallen ancient king, and she has a mouthful of teeth that used to be his guardian warriors. That's dope. I love everything you just said. Yeah, and art, you guys, check out Tony Sandoval online. No kidding, this guy is a face peeler. He's got a bunch of great books. Can't wait for this one. Dope. Marcus, give me one more. Yeah, Send me home. Yeah, you got a spare 80 bucks by chance? For you, I do. Great. Um, the Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, Gerald in Bath Statue. What? Oh, his it's, name's Geralt, Geralt, first of Did all? I say Gerald? I'm so fucking sorry. That's staying right in there, no, too. No, why? Yeah. No, because yeah. you nerded out so good earlier, and you're just undoing it Geralt. all. The so, other white wolf. Yeah. <laughs> um, I own a few video game statues, mostly from the Blizzard really? franchise. Um, but I, I don't own a hand-painted, rubber duck-included video game statue of a man in a tub. Yeah, this is a very famous scene from The Witcher 3. It's a very <laughs> famous scene. And it could just be the conversation starter my home has been missing. Yeah. And I'm going to put that right in the middle of the coffee well, table. Well, the rubber ducky covers his man bits, mm. right? And it's so it's very tasteful. Very tasteful. Hand-painted. Mm. That's art in my book. Yeah. That's art. Call it art. Call it art. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of news been coming out about The Witcher and some Netflix stuff. And so I just think it could be the perfect 
piece to bring my all my I interior think, design come together. I think you're right. Thank no, you. it's really going to tie the room together nicely, I think. I think so. Yeah. Did you guys hear Henry Cavill is going to be the Witcher? I'm so yeah. juiced. I'm hate, so juiced. I hate this news. Why? Wait, what? I don't like Henry Cavill. Henry I, Cavill. I fucking love Henry Cavill. What are you talking about? I bet you do. He's affiliated with the DC Universe <laughs> and DC Property. Yeah, he's the shit, man, and he looks cool in that trailer for that new Tom Cruise movie where he's punching that guy in the bathroom. I saw that movie. Yeah. And, and the thought that I had, because I never, I try not to think about Henry Cavill. <laughs> like, I actively try not to think about really? Henry Cavill. Because those Superman movies are nothing. And it's not wow. his fault. It's, it's not his yeah, fault that those are bad movies. Zack Snyder's fault. Not it's Zack Snyder. It's, it, he's doing what he does. He looks like Superman. Great job. You look like Superman. In that Mission Impossible movie, as I'm watching it, he's uh-huh. got this fucking mustache. Great mustache. It is not a oh, great it's mustache. Such a good, it's a good mustache. mustache. Yeah. I'll back you up there, Marcus. It really is not. It looks super fucking weird on his face. Yeah, and the whole the the second he shows up, all I can think of is Henry Cavill is in this fucking movie now. Wait, why do you and hate I, him so much? I don't know. He does, he does nothing. He doesn't add anything to the movie. He has no acting chops whatsoever. I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but he brings mm. nothing. Yeah, this is the movie. This is the show that is going to launch him more than Superman. He, I've read interviews. Cavill is a huge Witcher fan. Marcus just calls him Cavill. We're at a, we're at a, yeah, wow. we're close like that. Yeah. Cav Dog is a huge Witcher fan. He's read the novels. Mm-hmm. He's played the games. Yeah. He went out and actively sought for this. He fought for this. Role. I he did was... all three of those things too, yeah. and that would not make me a good Witcher. I disagree. I think you'd be a great Witcher. I think you'd look great in that bathtub. You could be Thank Witcher you. sidekick. All right. I, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Come on. Let's I, not. I, I think Cavill's <laughs> gonna do a great job. I am super juiced that he's gonna be the Witcher. Oh. Yeah, fuck yeah. I, yeah. Henry yes. motherfucking Cavill. Thank you, Curtis. Do it, man. Nick was getting on my shit about this yesterday, and I was starting to feel down about it, second-guess myself, but Curtis, you're right, and I'm right. It's yeah. Dope. He's not good. He's you're not so good. You're so wrong. I want to know. Those are the previews. If hey. you think any of that stuff sounds cool, and there's so much more, go get a previews magazine. Go to previewsworld.com. Check out some stuff that's coming out in two months. If any of it sounds neat, it would be really cool for you to order it from your comic shop. Your local comic shop would thank you profusely. If you're like looking at a single issue comic book, pre-order that bad boy. Pre-ordering is objectively stupid. We talk about it all the time. Do it. This is the comic industry. It's anachronistic. It's weird. Do it. It helps a lot. It helps uh, the small businesses that you get these comic books from because the system is built around the pre-order. So do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Henry Cavill sucks. I want to know what you guys recommendo that is not, before we leave, uh-huh. I want to know what you recommendo that is not a comic book and not a board game. Nick, that's all I do, though, dude. I know. It's going to be tough. You got to dig deep. Ah! You got to dig deep. Marcus? Yes. What do you recommend? Uh, over the last month, I found this band, T- uh, Narwin. They are a collection of musicians, rock musicians from North Africa. Think Jimi Hendrix. Think... Southern folk music, um, think Arabic pop, um, one. It's some of the best music I've ever listened to in my entire life. These dudes have been around since the 70s, and their their entire um, collective work, I've listened to every song these guys have put out. It's just some of the most wild, crazy, amazing shit I've ever listened to, and they're absolutely great. I popped this on, and I was expecting it to be... Uh, Vikingish yeah. or chanties with uh-huh. like drums, yeah. Because these is the kind of shit that Marcus Some weird seas recommends. Shanty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
and it's awesome. It's so good. It's really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Your description does it really good justice, and uh, it's I also recommend it. It's yes. really, really good. I am intrigued. Yeah. Dig it. Nice. What do you recommend, Curtis? Uh, I got picked up this video game. It's called Shenmue. One and two. These are games that came out on, on a system called the Dreamcast. This is Sega's last system. So Sega makes Sonic the Hedgehog and all these games. They've been around for a billion years. They used to make video game consoles. Way back in 1999, they released their last one, the Dreamcast. Great system. Anybody here play the Dreamcast? I think once in my life I've played it. I owned one. I, it is. It was a beautiful, beautiful animal. It was a glorious beast. Uh, short-lived, but they produced a couple great games. One of these, Way ahead of its time. I think so. It was the first console that could go online super easily. Man, we played so many online games on this thing. It played. It was easy to mod. You just put disc in there. Anyways, find a Dreamcast, man. It's got to be thirty bucks. It's a great little system. Soul Calibur, best fighting game of all time on the Dreamcast. Ready to rumble. Ready. Resident Evil Code Veronica. Yes, that rubber band arm guy. Fuck yeah. Check out a Dreamcast. It's worth your time. They put out this this game though that that totally. Also way ahead of its time called Shenmue. It's this open world thing. The game starts where this guy comes to your family estate and murders your dad. And you are this young boy who just got out of high school. And your name's Ryo Hazuki. And you need to find who killed your dad. Against the advice of everybody you know. There's no way you can go and fight this grown man crime boss guy and avenge your father. You're like a little, you're like a kid fresh out of school. Just a little guy. So this whole game is literally you wandering around town talking to people who have very little information to give you. It's super boring at first, but then it gets good and you start training and you get your fighting on and you kick some ass and you go on this huge journey. It's super weird. The controls are terrible. It's an up-resed version of a game that's 20 years old. Cannot recommend it highly enough. I, I would You're go playing so far. it on the PlayStation 4? PlayStation 4. It's been remastered. They put one and two together on the PlayStation 4. They're finally going to complete the trilogy next year. It's a three-part game that took 20 years to wrap up. You, Kurt, I could see the gears turning in Marcus's head so hard. You rock a brown leather jacket, white shirt, brown jacket in you this do. game? Yes. I own this fucking game for Xbox. I played it for like a hot minute, and I never touched it again because <laughs> it was so fucking terrible. My mom was heartbroken. It's a masterpiece. There's no way I remember. It's not a boy's game. game. It's a man's game. Is Thank it, you. Is it a man's game? It's a man's game. It takes, I it takes a man's being courage a bad game. and a man's patience. Have you played this game? I've never played it. It's considered a masterpiece, but I can see how if you were a kid and you knew every single sword in Lord of the Rings, for uh -huh. example, that you probably wouldn't be. You would hate it. No, because you're gonna be like talking to an old lady, and you're gonna be like, "Do you remember that day?" And she's gonna go, <laughs> "Do I don't remember that day, but." Let me tell you some useless information. I remember there's an old man doing Tai Chi under a tree. Yeah, he teaches the, you a kick-ass kung fu move, dude. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, I'm so glad I shit. remembered this game. So play Shenmue, get it on your PS4. It's the jam. Nick, you uh, are recommending Henry Cavill as your recommendo this I, week? I, yes, that's my... No! No! <laughs> I, I say... Can I do two things? Yes. Yeah. I have had a daily affirmation. For the last three months, or all summer. Okay. And that daily affirmation is I go online and see if Anderson Pock has released a new album. Oh. And he hasn't. Mm. But it's become a part of my life. Every day. It's a part of a thing that I do now, and it's built into who I am as a man, and I, it's, I recommend it. Do you do any other? Do you, is it? Are you wearing shoes? Do you have to eat a cracker first is there any other there's no other part of the ritual okay i just look sometimes okay. i'll read his twitter feed for a while 
And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll go back and I'll read old tweets from Anderson <laughs> Pac. Okay. And sometimes I'll look on Instagram and sometimes I'll just read interviews with him. But over the course of this process, I am waiting every day for a new Anderson Pac album. It is yet to materialize. I'll keep you posted when it shows up. Now, is he one of these secret album dudes? Everybody is now. Okay. Everybody is. That's the new thing. Although maybe they'll announce a date, but they haven't yet. Got it. Uh, daily affirmation. And I also want to recommend Megalobox. It's an anime about (gasps) boxing, but they wear exoskeleton suits, robo suits, and they box. And this is about a street rat who fights in underground rings and has to like throw fights in order to get money and stay alive. And he's got to fight his way to the top of this tournament. It's 10 episodes and done. And it is so good. Did you cry? Did it make you cry? It never made me cry. It was really, really good. Megalobox, it's on Crunchyroll. Peep that shit, Megalobox. I'm sold. That's Great it. recommendos, everybody. That We're was, back. That was easy. We're, Piece I, of cake. Can I have that? Thank you. Just cake. I was so nervous that we'd, we'd lose the groove. But you know what, Curtis? I think we did a great job. Hey, you found that episode title. Lo- don't lose the groove? It's just called Lose the Groove. Oh, there you go. Fair enough. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm over it already. That's going to do it for us today. <laughs> our editor is Rachel Polk. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week at the Ann Arbor District Library. Hey, please subscribe, download, also review the Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Stitcher if you would do that. We'd appreciate it. Make sure to check us out on our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and website. Super Skull Show is how you find us. Hey, we're back. We're better than ever. We are awesome, and you are awesome. <laughs> and a way you can help us make this whole thing continue going is by going to superskullshow.com slash donate. You can throw us a buck an episode, five bucks a month. That would be awesome. Do you want to leave in there that we're awesome? No, I, yeah, absolutely. I okay, do. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. I'm Marcus Schwimmer. And I'm Henry Cavill. And we wish you very good reading until next week. And I'm really Curtis Solomon. have so many relationships in this life yeah only one or two will last true then you turn oh wait you go through all the pain and strife then you turn your back and they're gone so fast oh yeah (laughs) and they're gone so fast yeah oh so hold on the ones who really care in the end they'll be the only ones there and when you get old and start losing your hair can you tell me who will still care Boom bop dip dop bop boom bop snicky bop bop boom bop dip dop dandy yeah yeah